Well, good morning. You heard me now. It's great to be with you. Um, thanks for inviting me back, guys, and thanks for receiving me back. It's, it really is a, just a joy to be with you. I bring you the greetings from home. Uh, they, they know I'm here. I'm praying for you as well. So thank you, Matt, for your prayers for us this morning and for your prayers for, for the Word this morning. So I hope I can serve you effectively in the short time we have together. So if you have a Bible, would you be kind enough to turn to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. Let's try and get the right gospel to start with. <clears throat> this is a familiar story. Uh, if, you, if you want a title, if you do make notes... Uh, the title would be The Two Debtors, or you could even call it Interview with the Pharisee. Um, the Two Debtors, and, and it's a well-known story. If you've been a Christian in a while, you'll know about it, the prostitute and the Pharisee, and Jesus eating a meal in the Pharisee's house. But let's read it together and then open it up a little bit and, and trust God will give us grace as we do it. Uh, verse 36 of chapter 7. <clears throat> One of the Pharisees... Asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't know if you've ever felt like I have and do regularly out of place somewhere. You can go into different circumstances, different situations, particularly when you think people are just smarter than you, better than you, more knowledgeable than you, more money than you, look better than you, you know, those kind of things. You go to the gym. I went to the gym once. <laughs> I went to the gym once. And there's all these people doing all this stuff. And I thought, oh. So I went downstairs and sat in the steam room and never went back again. <clears throat> you know, you're not one of the inner ring. You don't belong. You're not good enough. Uh, I've had it so many times. Honestly, I can't. I have a thousand illustrations. One, one is a, a funny one. 
with my friend Tony Graham. Some of you know him. And Tony, when he was a solicitor in Cardiff, invited me out to lunch. And so I went down, and I had my old jeans on and dirty old jacket on, and, and uh, found myself in this posh restaurant in Cardiff where all the lawyers go, all in their silk suits and looking good. And we're in there, and so I'm thinking, oh, I already feel out of place. And then we ordered our food, and they said, is there anything else we can do? I said, yeah, I could have some ketchup, please. And, you know, you, the disdainful looks, as you mentioned, the K-word, go around. And I thought the top was on the ketchup, and it wasn't, and I shook the bottle. <laughs> and you have never seen anything like it, because I wasn't aware, because I, I... The place looked like a scene out of a Quentin Tarantino film. Just, I, it was all over me. It was all over these lawyers. Their suits were covered in ketchup. Um... They were freaking out, as you can imagine. And I just thought, I, I don't belong here, do I? <laughs> and maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like that here. There's a lot of folk in churches who come every week, God bless them, and just feel ah, just out of place. They don't fit. They're not like the rest of the nice, good people, as if that's the case. It's never like that. They're all goodies, and I'm not. It's exactly how I felt the first time I went into church 20 years old. Guilty, dirty. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe you just think, no, it's the privilege to have me here. Oh, well, there's something here for you as well then. Here's someone in this passage who seems totally out of place. A prostitute in a Pharisee's home. Just think about it. But like me getting everyone's attention embarrassingly at, at the restaurant, she is certainly getting everybody's attention embarrassingly so in this home. Now, we've read what happened. We've read what was said. But I want to just open it up a bit because there's stuff here that just doesn't sit right, doesn't fit together. And as I've been studying this this week and got my time machine, this is what I do if I go into narrative. is a trick. Um, Imagine, imagine you, you get in a time machine and then I go into the scene and I just walk around as if you were reading it and then having to make a film of it. I want to look at everybody's response, every word that was said. So I get my, my, my spiritual time machine and that's why I don't want a phone call then. And sometimes Gavin will ring me. I say, look, I'm in my time machine. Will you <laughs> go away, Gavin? I love you, but this will have to wait. And then sometimes I'll interview people there. Can I, can I have a chat? A bit like Columbo, you know, it's like, uh, oh, um, one more thing, um, or Poirot, or something like that. So what I did in my time machine this week, you don't believe I have one, but I actually do, is I interviewed the Pharisee, because it, things just didn't seem to fit right for me in this story. You know, I've always thought of it as just, he goes to the Pharisee's house, oh, come, and she just breaks her way in, and there she does all this thing, and everybody's a bit embarrassed, and Jesus tells the story. Something didn't it. Let me, let me tell you, I asked him some questions. He, he refused to answer. He, he claimed the Fifth Amendment. I think he's an American Pharisee. Um, just answered no comment to everything I said, but at, at least let me tell you the questions I asked him. Uh, because it just didn't seem to fit right for me. Firstly, Simon, why did you invite Jesus when the page before in chapter 6, verse 7, it says that you and your buddies were trying to find a way to accuse him? 
You were trying to find a way, the woman with the withered hand. You were looking at a way. He's done this on the Sabbath. You know, the coin. Who, who do we, you know, who should we worship, Caesar or God? And, and all these times, it seems that you're out after him to accuse him, and yet you invite him to your house. Why? No comment. Why did you allow a prostitute into your home? Evidently, you knew she was a prostitute because you knew here. Interesting, you didn't tell anybody that. You said to yourself, didn't you? You didn't make any of those questions. Why did you do that? No comment. And why didn't you stop her in your own home? No comment. Why, if you'd invited Jesus to your home, did you show him such little dignity by not having his feet washed, by not receiving him with a kiss, by not doing the standard things that you would do to a guest in your home? Was this a setup that went wrong? You're trying to accuse him, you're bringing him in disrespectfully, and there's a prostitute in your home. Where did she come from? Did you know her personally? Things don't make sense here. Did you expect Jesus to condemn her when he asked if he could say something? You accuse Jesus, the word in here, of touching, is sexually touching her, her of sexually touching him. Was that what you wanted to happen? Things don't make sense here. As you look at this story, it's almost like she is there in that place. She lives there. He knows who she is and what she is. Nobody else does. But he knows, so he's not telling anybody. Because he probably knows her only too familiarly, familiar, with familiarity. It says she initiated this emotional act. The word for weeping is sobbing uncontrollably. So imagine the scene. He's there. He's been treated disrespectfully. And she is there as well and can't help herself as she's in this home to just break down, literally break down and weep emotionally with affection and love for him. Had she known him before? Had he forgiven her previously? We don't know. But it's a strange situation. But she knew she was known, forgiven, and loved. Simon says to Jesus, if you, or he says to himself, in fact, if you knew, if he knew what kind of woman she is, and the truth is he does know who she is. And he does know what kind of woman she is. And he also knows what kind of man Simon is. And he tells them a story about debtors. The point being, they're both in debt in different ways. But they're both in debt. And neither of them can pay off their debt. The question is, who owes the 50 denarii? And who owes the 500? We all mathematically presume, well, he's telling a story, and she's the great sinner. She's the horrible person. She's the prostitute. She's this worse. And there's the nice, respectable Christian or Jewish guy in this case. And she's the one who owes so much because of her lifestyle. And he's the one who only owes a little because 
you know, he's pretty respectable. I don't think that's the case. Yes, she was forgiven much, but oh, how much more does this guy need to be forgiven? Jesus doesn't diminish the sins. He says, yeah, they are many, but she knows it. She knows who she is. She has a shame, and that shame is evident to all because she is known by all. Her shame is external. Remember, I talked about shame last time. His shame is internal. He knows who he is, but nobody else knows who he is or what he's like or what he really does and thinks, doesn't do and think. But his sins are far worse than hers. This is the greater debtor. G. Campbell Morgan says this, the sins of the spirit are always more heinous than the sins of the flesh. The sins of pride and self-satisfaction are more deadly than the sins of the flesh ever were or could be. And as you read through the Gospels, you find the sins that Jesus is most concerned about are those sins of pride and self-satisfaction and self-righteousness. Not the broken, not the prostitute, not the person who's, not the thief. It's these people. Yet one of them has an openly clear, to those who know her, screwed up life. And one of them is just self-righteous, self-satisfied, doing all the religious stuff nicely. They're both in debt. So he tells them this story about these two debtors. And what we should do is whenever we look at a story like this, particularly one of the parables, the point we do is we look at Jesus, but we also look at the characters. And you go, who am I here? Who am I in this story? The one thing you're not is Jesus, okay? You can't ever go, I think I'm like Jesus here. Uh, no, no, you're not, okay? Only Jesus is like Jesus. Are you... The Pharisee, or are you the tax collector? Do you owe 50 denarii? Do you owe 500? I'll tell you who I am. I'm both. I'm a screw-up at times. I'm aware of it. I'm aware. Sometimes I think, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? How could I think that? How could I do that? How could I not think that? How could I not do that? How have I been so foolish here or what? You know, is this, look at me. You know, what a wreck sometimes I feel. And those who know me go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not ideal, are you? No, I'm not. How did you become a pastor? By default, I don't know how, somebody. But I'm also self-righteous. When others' sins are different to mine, I can stand there and go, hmm, how could they do that? Why aren't they like that? They should be like me. Luke 18 talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee goes, thank you, Lord, I'm not like him. I can do that at times. Tax collector goes, Lord, have mercy on me, the sinner. And this is what you've got here, the Pharisee going, how can he allow her to do that? And does he know what kind of woman he is? And the question comes back to the Pharisee, do you know what kind of man you are? Yes, she's in debt, but her debt has been forgiven. But you also are in debt. So let me tell you a story about two debtors. 
And the point about debt is it doesn't matter whether you owe a little or a lot. If you're in debt, you're in debt. Remember Mr. McCorber from Dickens? Income 20 shillings, outgoing 19 shillings and sixpence, result happiness. Income 20 shillings, result uh, outgoings 20 shillings and sixpence, result misery. Why? Because even if you only owe sixpence and you can't pay it back because you owe it, you're still going to end up in debtor's prison, debtor's jail. Particularly when Dickens wrote his books, that was a horrible place to go. And unless somebody paid off your debt for you, you wouldn't be able to find any way out of that prison to pay off your debt, whether it was sixpence or £6,000. A debtor is a debtor. And these people are both debtors. I'm sure he sits there thinking, I'm just a good guy. He's, is he, he's, he's not even computing. He's talking about him. And he thinks, oh, well, maybe I do owe 50 denarii. But that's not the point that Jesus is saying. You're all debtors. Even, even Mary Poppins, the wonderful Mary Poppins, she's only practically perfect. She's not fully perfect. You might think, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just such a great guy. You know, isn't the Lord blessed to have me on his side? But the truth is, none of us really think that, do we? We just think, oh me, oh life, with me the rest intertwined. This is who I am. I am too a debtor. And she recognizes her debt. She recognizes she owes. And at some point, somewhere, she grasps the fact that she is forgiven. She grasped the fact that this Jesus himself will go. Yeah, your sins aren't many. He's talking to Simon as he's speaking about her. Yes, her sins are many, but she knows it and she's been forgiven. How can Jesus say that? Well, it's just all about who carries the debt. Both these people owe but he's carrying the debt of one because she's received him carrying that debt. You know, imagine the scene. You, you buy a house. Well, let's think of it this way. My son, a son buys a house. Not mine. Everything, everything he's wanted, he's left home, he's got his house. It's the perfect house. The only problem is he really can't afford it. Um, and within a few months, it starts to become very clear that he can't afford it. Then the interest rates go up a bit more and he definitely can't afford it. And so he starts to default on the payments. He can't make the mortgage payments. And the letters start coming through and the emails start coming through from the mortgage company. And he doesn't open the letters and he moves the emails into his junk folder and doesn't look at them. And he knows at some point this is going to catch up with him, but he just puts it all aside and hopes against hope that maybe something will happen and they'll forget about him. But they're a mortgage company, they're a bank, and they don't forget. So the requests keep coming, but he doesn't do anything about it. But he knows that debt will mean that he will lose his home. He'll be out on the streets and they will foreclose on this property that he's put so much into. So one day they arrive at the door and they knock on the door and he opens the door and he suddenly realizes, oh, it's the mortgage company. 
Well, sir, we've been trying to write to you, but you haven't had any response back. And so we thought we'd uh, just come to the home. So he thinks, this is it. Here I go, waiting for them to say, please hand us over the keys and get out of our house. So he wants to get the keys and hands them out to them. And they say, uh, what are you doing? Well, I'm giving you the keys. Oh, no, we haven't come to take anything from you. We've come to give you something. We thought we'd give it to you by hand just in case you didn't open it, uh, that the deeds to your property, the mortgage is paid off. The shock in that moment, what do you mean paid off? You mean the last six months that I haven't paid? No, the whole thing has been paid off. You have no debt, it's gone. Can you imagine the shock? What's the question he's asking? Who did this? You see, he is no longer a debtor to the mortgage company, but he is now a debtor to someone who paid it off. So he rings up his dad. He says to dad, you will not believe what's just happened. The mortgage company have been here. They give me the deeds to the house. It's been paid off. Someone's paid it off. Dad says, yeah, of course, I know, son. I paid it off. But dad, you got, you got no money. How have you paid it off? Well, mum and I sold the house, sold the car, sold all our furniture, sold everything we've got, and uh, we were just enough to be able to pay off your mortgage. But dad, how can you live? Because you can now. This is the gospel. Why is she weeping? Because she knows what she owes. She knows the debt she is in. And one can say, I forgive you. And they say the question, who is this that says he can forgive sins? The one that pays the debt. The one that, not long hence, will hang on a cross, pay the debt for her. And if the Pharisee would see who he is, own his sin, turn to Christ for forgiveness for the Pharisee as well. Whether it's 50 zanari or the Pharisee's 500, once and for all it goes. So you see, the son is still in debt to the father, but the father says, I'm no longer going to hold that debt. I carry it. And I will always carry it, whatever the consequences. That's what this story is about. This story is about someone who recognizes their need for forgiveness. You know this. There is nothing new here that you haven't heard time and time and time again. Who is this that even forgives the debt of sin? The only one who can and will take it upon himself. And you know that's what's happened at the cross. He's paid the debt owed to God. Now, if you're here as a Christian and you hear this and you go, oh, nice gospel message, I've heard it before. Of course you have. Like the son who's the, the father's paid off the mortgage. And over six months or a year or two years, he's going in and out of the house. The first time he realized he broke down in tears staggered and amazed that his dad would do that for him. But as time goes on, 
As time goes on, he forgets just how much of a debt it was. He forgets what it cost. He forgets that for him to have this, his father lost everything. And we become familiar with the reality of who he is and what he has done for us. Luther said, I feel like he was only crucified yesterday. We sing songs to that. Lord, let me never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross, that I am a debtor. And that debt was paid and paid in full by the precious blood that Jesus spilled. It wasn't abstract. It wasn't, right, well, I've done this, so therefore you can accept it if you want. No, it's personal, just like that dad and that son. It's personal. I paid your debt. So when I look at her, this is the other thing that God wants me to see as I look at this passage. Look at that affection. Look at that love. Look at the imminence and the immediacy of how she feels about the fact that she is forgiven. And I know how easy it is just to become familiar, to go through the motions, to sing the songs, to read the scripture, to say, oh, Jesus died for my sin. I remember when I was first saved. I remember being completely on the road to bring Koch in Neath, suddenly, staggeringly overwhelmed that he would take my place on a cross. And I know there's times where it seems such a long time ago. But I say, Lord, just like this woman, let me be continually in the moment of the fact that this is who I am. This is what I owe. The reason that I don't have to worry about not fitting anywhere. You say, well, I owe the biggest debt here because of who I am and who I'm not. We're all debtors. We're not here to compare our debts. But if we're forgiven, our debt is clean. It's gone. We're never called to pay it back. Christ has done it all for us. So it's good news. That's all I'm here to say to you this morning. The response here to her was, your faith has saved you. Your faith, that need to turn to him and say, I believe what you did was for me. If you grow up in church, maybe you've been brought to church as a kid, and you know you've heard the story a thousand times, you've heard the gospel, but it's never really affected you. The reason it's not really affected you the reason you're not sure, possibly, if this is you, that, that you're a Christian is because you don't realize the personal nature of it. You think Jesus died for sinners and you recognize you won. You need to know this. She recognized he paid for her personally. Jesus loves you to the place where... Somebody said this before, and it's true. If no one else had ever sinned, he'd have still gone to the cross for you.
when you feel that, Christ died for my sins. It's life-changing. And you never turn back. That's what happened to her. What happened to the Pharisee, we don't know. We're not told. But the result she has now in the midst of a messed up life is peace with God. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with God, we say, I can't get out of this debt. I can't change myself. I can't stop these things. I can't. Then God says, here is my son's death on your behalf. Receive it. Take it. And if you have received it and take it, don't forget. As we heard this morning from Psalm 103, it starts to bless the Lord, O oh my soul, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits who forgives all your sins. It's a wonderful gospel. It's a wonderful truth. He's a wonderful savior. For it cost him everything. For this broken prostitute, for this self-righteous Pharisee, if you turn, for Pete Greasley, and for you as well. If you received him and you trust him, you say, Lord, I, I want to restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's a fair and a scriptural prayer. Let me live in the joy of the reality of whatever else. Before the throne of God, I am forgiven. Whatever else is going on, whatever else is happening in the world, whatever else is happening in my body, whatever else is happening in my mind and my soul, whatever's happening in my family and my friends and my job, whatever else is happening, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how could he love me? A sinner condemned unclean. I'm sure she knew that song. Maybe she wrote it. I think somebody else wrote it. But that's how she feels. How wonderful, how marvelous is this glorious gospel. So it's been a pleasure to be with you. I didn't come to bring you anything particularly staggering in its profundity, except to say, this is staggering in its profundity. <laughs> because this is the Savior whom we worship and love. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you as we see your Son tell this glorious story, as we revel again in the reality that to those who owe little and those who owe much, we all fall short. We're all broken. We're all self-righteous at times. We're all a wreck at other times. And yet you look us in the eye and you say, just as you said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord, I pray that this little story may ring in our ears, in our mind, in our heart, in the week ahead, that we might realize again, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. 
through his precious blood and that we may live in the peace of that, not trying to pay off the debt, not trying to look good, not trying to impress, not trying to hide, but gloriously and wonderfully basking in the joy of our salvation. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.